Good morning, friends. We welcome you to chapel worship as folks are filtering in from various places and responsibilities on campus this morning. And as we gather, we recognize that this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We are excited for our worship this morning as we will hear from Mark Adams, who is a missionary working at the southern border, U.S.-Mexico border. And as such, we are going to be doing a lot of this service in English and Spanish. So you will notice um, when we sing our hymns that you will find some English and Spanish projected and uh, welcome you to worship God in both languages today. We will begin with hymn number 125. We will sing first in English and then in Spanish. Let us stand.
You may be seated as we join in a responsive prayer. In the beginning, when it was very quiet, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning, when it was very dark, God said, let there be light, and there was light. When the time was right, God sent the Son. Christ came among us and was one of us. invite you to join me in this responsive reading in both English and Spanish of Psalm 36, 5 through 10. You will be invited to read the portions that are in bold print in unison. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Jehovah, hasta los cielos llega tu misericordia, y tu fidelidad alcanza hasta las nubes. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. All people may take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Cuán precioso, O Dios, es tu misericordia. Por eso los hijos de los hombres se amparan bajo la sombra de tus alas. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Porque contigo está el manantial de la vida. En tu luz veremos la luz. Voy a leer en el libro de San Juan. En el principio era el verbo, y el verbo era con Dios, y el verbo era Dios. Este era en el principio con Dios. 
todas las cosas por él fueron hechas, y sin él nada de lo que ha sido hecho fue hecho. En él estaba la vida, y la vida era la luz de los hombres. La luz en las tinieblas resplandece, y las tinieblas no prevalecieron contra ella. Hubo un hombre enviado de Dios, el cual se llamaba Juan. Este vino por testimonio, para que diese testimonio de la luz, a fin de que todos creyesen por él. No era él la luz, sino para que diese testimonio de la luz. Aquella luz verdadera que alumbra a todo hombre. Venía a este mundo. En el mundo estaba y en el mundo por él fue hecho. Pero el mundo no le conoció. Y a lo suyo vino y los suyos no le recibieron. Mas a todos los que le recibieron, a los que creen en su nombre, les dio potestad de ser hechos hijos de Dios. Los cuales no son engendrados de sangre, ni de voluntad de carne, ni de voluntad de varón, sino de Dios. Este okay. Y aquel verbo fue hecho carne. Y habitó entre nosotros, y vimos su gloria, gloria como del unigénito del Padre, lleno de gracia y de verdad. Now I'll be reading in English from John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light, so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, He gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. Amen.
Good morning. I first met Mark Adams about 15 years ago when Deanna and I visited to explore taking a group of students to learn about the U.S.-Mexico border. We were very impacted by that experience, and since then we have hosted, uh, or we've been hosted, by Mark and the Presbyterian Ministry Frontera de Cristo at least six times with students over the past number of years as they've embarked on a semester-long intercultural trip or a summer trip. Something that stands out to me when I think back about those visits to Agrupieta, Sonora, Mexico, and Douglas, Arizona, which are divided uh, by this national boundary, is the remarkable range of people and organizations that we visited. A Catholic-run shelter and drug rehab center, a community of Catholic sisters, the U.S. Border Patrol, the Lily of the Valley Presbyterian Church, the mayor of Douglas, and the coffee shop, Cafe Justo, on the Mexico side, a fair trade coffee business owned by growers in southern Mexico and roasters and sellers at the border that Frontera de Cristo uh, initiated. I could go on and on. Mark and his wife Miriam are known and embraced wherever we go. And if you look at the Frontera de Cristo website, it states that its work is with churches, presbyteries, secular organizations on both sides of the border to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. Mark is originally from Clover, South Carolina, which is just across the border from Charlotte, North Carolina. He's a marvelous storyteller. And if anyone would like to join us after uh, chapel today in the cafeteria, you can join Deanne and I with Mark. Um, if, you're like, if you like, you're welcome. And also this evening at 7 o'clock in the old common ground space uh, for an hour or so, Mark will be telling stories and interacting with those who come join. Mark, welcome. Let us welcome uh, Mark to this space. It's a delight for me to be in worship with you all this morning. And um, I have a kind of a more, it's kind of a little, being in a seminary, it's like, oh my goodness. Um, and I just want to give a, a, a disclaimer that um, this is not a seminary sermon. Um, this is, I, I have one of those on this text, and if you'd like it, I can send, send you it. But this is more of a reflection, and when Courtney asked me what the title would be, I said, it's Theology on a Five-Gallon Bucket. Um, last night, I was with a, a, a colleague of mine from seminary. Uh, he lives over in Charlottesville, and we were reminiscing about what just an incredible experience it was for us to be able to go through seminary together. And we, 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 we talked about, as we were being deformed as disciples of Jesus Christ, to have that time to be, in, to be intentional on a very intense way of reflecting on Scripture together, praying together, and, and seeking to ask the hard questions of, of life and faith and how we're to live as disciples in this divided world. Uh, what a gift it was uh, to be able to, to 
set aside that time for that intentional t- uh, time. He asked me, who was, who was my uh, most impactful seminary professor? And I'm not going to ask you to share that right now. Um, but it was easy for me. It was my New Testament professor. And the first class I had, uh, one of the things he said to me was, or said to us as a class, he says, Scripture is not meant to be read. Oh, no. He didn't say not meant to be read. He said, the worst place you can read Scripture is inside the four walls of a seminary classroom. He said, read Scripture on the street because the Word is loose in the world. And so he would have us reading Scripture in different places. And uh, we, we would read on the streets. And obviously we were also read in seminary and we had chapel and there were wonderful experiences. But his point was that the Word of God cannot be contained uh, in the four walls of a seminary classroom or a church building. Um, and we need to listen for the Word of God uh, on the streets and in our communities uh, and not to just have it bottled up. Well, little did I know that my formation as a disciple of Jesus Christ, as a leader in the church of, of Jesus Christ, uh, uh, was continued at the seminary, but it was just a continuation or beginning of something that would continue. And when I went to the border uh, 24 years ago now, I drove all the way from Clover, South Carolina to the U.S.-Mexico border, and I really uh, didn't want to, to go. Um, I, I wrote in my journal that I felt more like um, I felt more like Jonah than Abram. Uh, not because I had anything necessarily against the folks in Al Prieta at the time. It just, I wanted to be home. And I was grieving that um, and, and wanted to, to not go. I get to the border and my colleague Chewy is waiting for me and he says, um, when I arrive after the pleasantries, Ya estas listo, Marcos. Are you ready, Mark? And I was like, uh, ready for what? He goes, vamos a un estudio bíblico. We're going to go to Bible study. And I said, uh, well, can I go to the bathroom at least? Uh, and I really wasn't into going to Bible study. You know, I had just driven a long way. I was not settled at all. And so I went to the bathroom, and then I came out, and he said, ya estás listo. Now are you ready? And all I could think about was, uh, as a southerner, I can't say no. So I said yes. And we got in his car and we drove across the border. And uh, we drove from Douglas to Aguaprieta. Uh, things changed dramatically. We went on the outskirts of Aguaprieta. We went from a paved road to a, 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 what he said was a road. It was a big expanse thing of dirt. And we went down into a, an arroyo and he said we we're still on the road. And we came out and it was, he said we we're still on the road. And we turned left on another big kind of expanse of dirt. And we showed up at this um, cinder block house on the outskirts of town in the new neighborhood. And it turned out it was a, a family from the church who had just moved into this uh, suburban house. Uh, it was cinder block. Uh, it had no indoor plumbing. It had no electricity. It didn't have a ceiling. It had a dirt for floor. And, um, but the, the family had just moved in. Um, and they, the first thing they wanted to do was to have a Bible study to invite their neighbors to hear the Word of God. 
And so I was one of the ones invited into this Bible study. And I got in, and there were about 16 of us sit, sitting in a, in a circle, and I was sitting on a five-gallon bucket. And Chewie had told me that we were going to study the Gospel of John. And I had just come out of seminary, and I wasn't a big fan of the Gospel of John. It seemed like a bunch of theological gobbledygook, and, you know, the most theologically complex of the Gospels. And I was like, what in the world are we doing studying the Gospel of John here? And I was thinking, well, at least it's Chewie who has to explain, and not me, uh, this complex Gospel. And so Chewie reads the prologue that we just read this morning, and he says, um, doesn't explain anything. All he said is, what did you hear in the reading of the Word of God? And there was silence. And then a man said, a man named Pedro said, lo que me llamó la atención es el verbo se hizo carne y habitó entre nosotros. What called my attention is that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then he said, God knows what it's like to be far from home. God left God's heaven to come and live with us. As someone who was 2,000 miles from home, it spoke to me not just up here, but in the depths of my soul. And what I became to realize is nobody in that circle was from Agua Prieta. Everyone was from far away. Another woman said, yes, God came to know us so that we can know God. God knows our joys and God knows our sufferings. Now in seminary I had studied the incarnation, which is you know, the linchpin of Christian theology and the, the, the church fathers here in Aeneas and that, you know, I knew all that stuff. I knew it up here, but it wasn't until I was on that five-gallon bucket in that house of the man named Pedro that I really knew it. In Spanish, there's, there are two, uh, two words for to know. There's a saber, uh, which is to know here, and there's a conocer, which is to know in a more intimate way. My prayer is that as we continue our journey uh, as disciples and formation as disciples of Jesus Christ and leaders, uh, that we will not only cultivate here, but we'll cultivate here and here, and that we'll connect those two pieces um, throughout our journey of faith. That afternoon on that five-gallon bucket has informed most of my ministry on the border because I started to understand in the Gospels that Jesus is the one who calls us to put flesh on the Gospel in the midst of the reality of this world, the brokenness of this world. As the, as the sister said, God knows our joys and God knows our sufferings. God enters fully into life with us. And God invites us to follow Jesus into the fullness of life in this world. The fullness of the brokenness, the fullness of the joy, and to be those who reflect God's love and God's justice and God's peace in our broken world. The ministry of Frontera Cristo is a ministry that brings together people uh, across different spectrums. 
And one of the things we do is we read Scripture out in the desert. And another one of the interesting, the Gospel uh, from the Gospel of Mark, which at the time when I first got the board, that was my favorite, not because it's my name, but it was, <laughs> it's the shortest, and it's kind of a fast-paced one. But we were reading that Scripture out in the desert, and one of the things that struck me about that particular introduction to the Gospel, uh, which I'm sure most of us have read many times, is that it says... Um, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And so as I think about those two prologues to those two Gospels, I think about the importance of us that face some bad news in the world. Our goal or our role as leaders, as Christians, is not to complain about how bad things are, but to enter fully into this broken world and to put flesh on the good news of Jesus Christ. So, on the border, there's plenty of brokenness. There's plenty of division. There's plenty of of hatred and fear. And we as people of faith are called to live out the good news in the face of all of that bad news. And it's a real blessing for us to have people like Byron and Deanna and the folks from EMU to come down and share life and ministry with us. Because it helps us witness to the reality of who God is in Jesus Christ to bring us together as one new humanity instead of multiple divided uh, humanity at each other's throats. My hope and prayer is that we will have the courage to follow Jesus into the joys and sufferings of life each day of our ministries and each day of our lives. So I understand that now is the time for rebuttal. Is that... (laughs) Uh, I mean, faithful questions, faithful questions or comments or, or reflections. Um. I'm going to invite us to pause for just a moment as we let your message and the images that you have created for us dwell in our hearts. And um, in just a moment, we will invite those who wish to ask a question or make a comment to do so. Thank you for your sharing with us, Mark. And now is the time, we won't call it rebuttal, but (laughs) now is the time if you uh, have a question about Mark's ministry or a response to his message this morning, we'll bring you the microphone. Thanks very much for what you've shared. Um, And I'm really struck by your framing it within the context of Christian discipleship. Uh, If you've been there for 20 years, you've lived through a whole bunch of different political uh, realities in relationship to border. And I think most of us, at least I should say for me, I tend to think of border issues as political issues. Could you say a little bit about how a Christian discipleship presence 
survives or deals with the political realities? Oh, wow. Uh, I mean, we, we could have a whole week on that. Um, so one of the gifts of the ministry of Frontera Cristo is that when we were formed, we were formed not around issues of immigration or issues of, of the border, but really we were formed out of some conflict between uh, churches in the U.S. and churches in Mexico, asking the question, how, how can we be a ministry of, of, of churches, not as one church is serving another, but as two churches coming together to share the gifts that God has given both of our uh, churches uh, to live into the reality of who God is calling us to, and to discern how is God calling us to be faithful in this context. And so from the beginning, that was our call. Um, and we got engaged in issues of immigration and border because people end up showing up in the sanctuary uh, battered and bruised. Um, people on the no north side of the border, uh, members of churches had people coming through their property um, cutting fences and dying on their land and um, water tanks being drained. And one of the things I'll never forget, the first, um, one of the first families I've met in the, from a church in Douglas took me out to their ranch and, and a woman said, Mark, uh, two, she said two things. She said, Mark, this used to be, that I remember, two things, and one of them was, Mark, this used to be a great place to raise a family. And the second thing she said is, Mark, sometimes I feel like Judas. And I said, well, why do you feel like Judas? She goes, it used to be there'd be a few people coming through our property, uh, and we'd provide food, we'd provide water, we'd, we'd pray for them, we'd bless them on their way, but now there's so many people coming through our property that we're scared. And so I might provide water, but I always call the Border Patrol. Sometimes I feel like Judas. And so... We were in this community of faith that were dealing with a larger you know, reality that was governed by larger political and economic realities of pushing folks through this particular part of God's creation without legal avenues for folks to go through ports of entry. So they were going through uh, between ports of entry. And so for us, it, it never was a, primarily a political issue. Uh, or an ideological issue, it's, it's an issue of, of humanity and of faith. And so for us, the important piece is to see what is happening on the border through primarily the lens of faith, um, understanding that our interactions in the world are political. Our interactions in the world have economic consequences. But how do we see that primarily through the lens of faith and not the lens of fear? And so... Um, so that's how we kind of have sought to, to live out that. One specific, we had a, where was it? Well, I think, I don't know if it was, no, it was at the retreat this weekend. Someone asked, so what is your relationship like with the Border Patrol? Um, and the answer is it's complex. When, when people started dying uh, of dehydration in, in our area, uh, in large numbers, I mean, one summer, um, we had 40 people die of dehydration within um, in two, a two-month period within 20 miles of us in the deserts. And so we met with our border patrol, the Border Patrol chief of our local sector, and my question to him was, 
um, Chief, his name was Rowdy Adams. And I said, Chief Adams, I said, do you think the policy that we're asking you to uphold, because the policy that's on the border is my policy. It's our policy. Whether we want, want it or not, it's ours. It's that, that scripture from, from uh, Romans where Paul says, the very thing I want to do is, is the thing I don't do, and the thing that I don't want to do is the thing I do. It didn't make any sense to me until being on the border. And I had to come to grips with the policy that's in place. As a U.S. citizen, that's my policy. And so I asked I ask him, uh, and it was kind of interesting because we were, it's kind of like a joke. It was a Catholic priest, a Presbyterian pastor, and a charismatic Buddhist uh, <laughs> met at the Red Barn with the Border Patrol chief. Um, <laughs> any rate, so I asked him, I said, I said, Mr. Adams, is the policy, do you think the policy that we're asking you to uphold is a moral policy? And he said to us, well, you have God's law and you have man's law. And sometimes they're in conflict with one another. And for y'all, there's no higher law than God. No higher authority than God. And for me, there's no higher authority than the U.S. Constitution. And I'm sworn to uphold it. And when he, when he saw our reaction, he thought the priest was going to get out the holy water and I was going to get out the prayer book and I was going to be speaking in time. Oh, no, no, no. But, but those, are the, those are tensions that we live with. And so when we see people in need on the U.S. side of the border or on the Mexican side, we don't see them, are they, are they legal or illegal? Are they documented or undocumented? That's not our role. Our role is to see them as human beings created in the image of God, beloved by God. And so we have, um, we say, when we see someone in need, we're called uh, that everyone is created in the image of God and deserves to be treated with dignity. We're called to love our neighbors as ourselves. We're called to provide food for the hungry, water for the thirsty, welcome to the stranger. We're called to follow the example of the Good Samaritan and do likewise. And our, our government doesn't give us the right or the authority to determine immigration status. Therefore, we're going to act on one, two, three, and four. Now, we have been told, the complexity of that is, we have been told, uh, Mark, we might not be able to convict you, but we can make your life difficult. So it's complex. Uh, we know the no immigrants are from the Spanish countries. I've been in the borders, and I, you know, I see so many people from other different countries, different languages, different culture. How how you integrate your ministry? You know, uh, serving people from all this languages and cultures, you know, that need, you know, not just physical needs, but uh, spiritual needs. How, how do you, how do you integrate? Yeah, thank you for that question. Um, so yes, uh, the, there are folks that come from many different countries and different language backgrounds, and that's, that's changed pretty dramatically. Um, recently in terms of the country piece. But from language-wise, we've always had folks, because Mexico, there are lots of um, different language groups in Mexico. There are like 62 uh, languages recognized officially in the Mexican Constitution. 
Um, and so we have had folks uh, of multiple languages coming through Agua Prieta, and we have a migrant resource center. Uh, and the reality is, is it's not easy um, to, to adequately provide for the spiritual care of folks of whose language you don't speak, and we do the best we can. Um, we have a, a, a binational group of people who serve at the Migrant Resource Center, and you know sometimes we pull out the Google Translate, sometimes we connect with uh, consulates of the countries from where they come. Um, one of the real blessings that we've had over the last three years is uh, one of the staff persons for, from, from our uh, Frontera Cristo who serves at the Migrant Resource Center as the assistant coordinator is, uh, uh, her first language is one of the um, primary languages in Mexico. So there's at least one <laughs> indigenous language group that we can communicate with more than just Google Translate. But more than anything, since we can't communicate always in someone's native tongue is, is try to be as welcoming as we can and respectful of space and giving folks the space that they need um, to, to be and to connect with family uh, there. So the Migrant Resource Center, which is the place where we interact most with folks of, of different languages, um, is a place where folks can be and be safe, can be in contact with their loved ones, uh, and we try to do the best we can just to, um, uh, to communicate without words, uh, love and concern uh, for folks. But it's a, it is a challenge. One of, the, one of the interesting things that um, this was the 16th anniversary year of the Migrant Resource Center. And one of the things that, um, that there was a picture, this is an image. Um, this, on here is an image of one of the walls um, on the back wall. And this was actually the original Migrant Resource Center. It was an adobe structure and it was left up. Um, and there's a patio over here, kind of south of there. Um, but another, another image is being put up that is, says Bienvenidos and in like 40 languages. And it was one way that uh, British, who is the assistant coordinator, uh, thought that if, if at least someone could see their language uh, written out, that would be one small thing that they could at least identify with. And so it's, it's done in a heart shape and it's got all the, the different languages there. I'm sorry. No, thank you. I, I love the connection you made to the, the artwork on the bulletin. Yeah. Hi, Mark. Thank you for your words and your sharing. I'm thinking about the security sector, um, people that I've worked with quite a bit. And... I'm wondering about really the toll that this is taking on them. We hear that the suicide rates are really high. They're calling out for resources from the government that they are not getting. And so do you have interface with people from the security sector who also have a relationship with your organization such that they are confessing the suffering that they have also taken on, whether it's a guilty conscience or their own ancestry is on the other side of the border and how that's really complicated for them. So do you have those kind of conversations as well? Mm, thank you. Um, so we, on an official level, our, our 
relationship is, is really with uh, the leadership structure. Uh, and and we, so we don't have like an official kind of spiritual role in those relationships uh, with them. Um, we, we do like advocate when we're doing advocate, advocating with Southern Border Communities Coalition, you know, the, the kinds of care uh, resources that need to be in place for folks who are experiencing trauma. On a personal level, we have different people in our organizations, including myself, have relationships with individual um, agents and uh, officers of the CBP. And so there are there's where there's more deeper conversations around um, self-care and, and the trauma that exists. Um, there's a, I, I wish I would, I, I can't pull it up, but there's a, um, one of the agents, uh, and, and, and agents are all over the place in terms, and it's not just suicide rates, which unfortunately are high, it's also divorce rates, and I mean, it's, it's a, it's, it's a I, I wouldn't wish that stress on anyone, um, and, and it takes a huge toll on lots of people, especially if they, they can't totally be hardened to the suffering that they're dealing with, uh, unfortunately. Um, but there was, a, there was a song that one of our interns wrote uh, after interacting with one of the agents. Um, and he talked about uh, the agent who just stayed with a woman who had fallen off the wall and had, had a compound fracture and just embracing her. And in that embrace, uh, the, the quote, the, the border that had brought them together in conflict had kind of divided for just a moment while it was about the human, the care, uh, looking for the care of that. And at the same time, the reality, the complexity of, they were so apart from one another. Um, even though they might have been close at one time, she appreciated the care and, and concern. There was still a huge chasm between the two. And, and that's a hard thing for many of the agents um, to deal with. Um, um, so, so yeah, it's a, it is a complex piece. They, the, the agency has a, a pretty significant um, EAP system uh, and encourage folks to seek uh, counseling and care. They have a, a peer chaplain program as well, and we interact with them some. Uh, but, uh, but there's always more that could be done. Uh, to provide for people's care, but it's some it's a hard hard reality well, Thank you again for your sharing of your message and your spirit with us this morning As we sing our final hymn we will sing stanza one in English and then repeat stanza one in Spanish and two and three in Spanish
Let's remain standing for the benediction. A benediction is a blessing. And we had a blessings chapel a couple of weeks back where we dissected that word some, and we remember that it is a authoritative pronouncement of God's divine favor. And so this morning, I will ask us all to extend a blessing, a benediction to Mark and his work. So if you will with me, raise a hand towards Mark as we receive this blessing on his behalf. May God bless you and keep you. May God's face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May God's spirit bless you in your work and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace. Amen.